have a very simple message, uh, Luke 17, if you'll turn there with me, Luke 17, also 1 Thessalonians 5 and Hebrews 13. I've got a simple message out of the Word of God, and I believe God's going to talk to us. Luke 17, 1 Thessalonians 5 and Hebrews 13. Luke 17 and 11, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Tell you one wise thing for a person to know, if you've got a need in your life and Jesus is in any kind of proximity, you're going to want to lift up your voice and stretch out your faith to Jesus, and Jesus can do anything. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice, glorified God. And that's a really good text for having loud church. I tell you what, a loud church is filled with people that are genuinely grateful for what God has done for them. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And by the way, parenthetically, he was a Samaritan. He wasn't one of the good guys. And Jesus answered, answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return give, to give glory to God, save this stranger. Isn't that weird? None of the other nine came back to thank the Lord. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The Bible says, 16, he fell down at his, at his feet, giving him thanks. And I'd like to just say that Jesus deserves our thanksgiving. He deserves us to give him gratitude and thanks for who he is and all he's done for us because he absolutely deserves it. Thessalonians 5 and 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hebrews 13 and 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of God to continually. To God continually. What is that? That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. You know how we give the sacrifice of praise? We open up our mouth and we begin to thank God for what he's done for us. Now to us this may not mean a lot, but to Jewish Christians it meant a whole lot because they knew every time they came to church, they never came to church empty-handed. You came to church, you better have something that you brought to that Old Testament tabernacle, that Old Testament temple. You'd bring a turtle dove, you'd bring a blood sacrifice, you'd bring shekels, you'd bring something because God deserved the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice of praise? David said, I'll not offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. So sacrifice of praise means that it costs me something. That means i got to put a little sweat equity into this thing called praising the Lord. It means i got to put a little energy into this thing called praising the Lord. But the sacrifice of praise that we bring, thankfully you don't have to bring your pet goat or your pet lamb to church. 
And it's not going to get bloody around here. It's a whole lot better in the New Testament. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's better. Better in the New Testament. We don't have to bring that kind of sacrifice. But we bring a sacrifice. Oh, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house. Right? We bring the sacrifice of praise. What is that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. God's been good to me. Lord, I thank you for your kindness. Hallelujah. I don't need music. Lord, you saved me. Lord, I was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I've got the Holy Ghost. Uh, Jesus, you freed me from sin. You broke the chains out of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm opening my mouth today. I'm bringing the sacrifice of praise. Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's try it a little bit. Let's put the word into practice. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for having a church to go to. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'll just tell you, church is a, is a participating sport. We participate in church. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. In Jesus' name. Very soon here, we're going to be taking a trip. I haven't, and I hesitate to say it like this, I haven't, I would say been home in a while, but it's not, I don't really call it home anymore. It's the place where I was more or less born and raised, and uh, Minnesota is not my home. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> not me. Uh, but we'll be heading home here pretty soon. My mother and father are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. That's pretty cool. That's quite a, that's quite a, that's quite a landmark. And so I'll be heading home. My family and I will be heading back to Michigan to, to wish them well. And so in this season a little bit, I've been considering, and uh, I think it's good now and then, and different people are wired differently. I'm a person that lives most of my life in the future, so I don't spend a lot of time looking back. I don't spend a lot of time maybe reminiscing and recollecting. And, but the truth is there's a lot of benefit to doing that. And so... Getting ready to head back to Michigan, I've been thinking about some of my upbringing and, and uh, my family that I was raised in. I thank God for my mom and my dad. Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. My parents weren't uh, uh, practicing Christians, you would say. Uh, the Lord came into our family when I was 15, and my dad was, my parents were mid-30s. And so it uh, wasn't a perfect home growing up, but I thank God that I had parents that did the best they could with what they had. And uh, as I look back, I realize the tremendous values that, that my parents and my family put into me, some things that uh, I'm very, very grateful for. And so as I was being raised, my mother particularly, and as I look back, her mother, my grandmother on my, on my mother's side, was a stickler for manners. And so as I was growing up, I was, I was taught manners. And... Uh, how many know what I'm talking about? Maybe you had, do you have parents like that or a mother like that? So <clears throat> I was taught when you, when you uh, sat down for dinner and you got ready to eat your dinner that it was impolite to put your elbows on the table. 
And you'd get a dirty look like, you know, what are you doing? And I would like to evangelistically share this story, but I've got to try to make it as accurate as possible. If you were to put your elbows on the dinner table that I grew up at, I'm positive she did this, but I'm not 100%, but it definitely makes the story better. Then mom would take a knife and poke you in the arm. If it wasn't a knife, for truth's sake, it was definitely a fork. And she'd reach across and stab you in your elbow. It's like, what are you doing, man? You don't, come on, manners, please. And so I, I, was, I, was, in, I was taught that, and, and the truth of the matter is, that only happens a few times. And you catch on really, really quick. I was taught, you, I was taught when you eat, you eat with your mouth closed. Well, I mean, that's how I was, that's how I was taught. And uh, I was also taught not to make bodily noises at the dinner table. And I'll allow you just to read between the lines there. These were things I was, I was taught manners. These, my mom was a stickler for that. Um, I've mentioned it before. My dad was, he was a pretty hardcore dude. He was, uh, he was a green brain, the special forces and, uh, a black still is. He's a black third degree black belt, uh, personification of Chuck Norris in the flesh. And, uh, he's bad of the bone and if you don't believe it. Just ask him and he'll tell you. And uh, I was, I was, as a teenager, I'd start to get, you know, you know how you get as a teenager. You start to get a little cocky and, you know, full of yourself a little bit. And I'd, and I'd, I'd flare up a little bit at my dad and he'd say, uh, anytime you feel froggy, you just leave. And he meant it. He'd have taken me out. My dad was a belt champion. He, he, he wielded, how, how many had parents that believed in physical discipline? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I have a little time, a little hard time sometimes understanding at times certain aspects of this generation because there were some things you just didn't do when I was growing up. You didn't talk back to dad, or your head would be across the room over there. Yeah, uh huh. And so you know, as a teenager, you may get kind of cocky and into yourself and whatever, and you're talking back to your mom and you're giving her the what for, and she would say. And you wait until your dad comes home. And he would deliver. I'll never forget receiving a phone call. And normally, uniquely, my mother often was the great almighty advocate. If I was in trouble, she'd be like, and I see it all over. And I'm not going to mention any names. But I see it all over. I see sometimes where moms advocate for their children because dad's fixing to, you know, tear into one of the kids. And mom's like, just take it easy. Just... Slow down. Just. So I always knew that if I was in severe trouble, most of the time my mom would, would throttle my dad back a little bit. So one, one day, I've been in a lot of trouble in eighth grade. This is B.C., by the way. This is before Christ. This is before Jesus. Because when you get the Holy Ghost, you act right, talk right, live right. Okay, so I don't want to give you a bad example. But I was a bad example before I knew Jesus. And so I came home one day, uh, and I'd been with my dad, and we pull in. I, I can remember like it was yesterday. The, the house was dark. It was about 7 o'clock at night. We opened the door. The phone rang. My dad picked up the phone. And the thing you got to know about my dad, my dad, when he starts to get mad, his eyes gets really big, and his chin sticks out and juts out. And he's on the phone. I hear him talking. He, he did what? 
He did what? I'll do that. And it was the prince of my school that called and said, you know, Ron did this or Ron did that. And the principal told my dad, if that was my kid, I'd beat him. And mom wasn't home. Oh, yeah. I mean, that belt came off like Zorro. That was the last one that I remember because that will cure you very, very quickly. Now, my mother was not, she didn't, she didn't use a belt, but she had a, a wooden spoon. How many of you moms had a, your mom had a wooden spoon? Now, my mom, she, she'd go crazy. This is all on video, too. By the way, welcome everybody that's online today. God bless you. You might want to pause the button just in case my family's. <laughs> but she typically, she wouldn't, most of the time she wouldn't beat you with a spoon, but man, she would get so mad. I remember my mom getting so mad with that spoon and just bam, 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 and just beating the wall with the spoon. And so, I mean, these things taught you respect. They taught you to listen. And while we're here by this way, here's some good parental advice, all right? It's way easier to discipline children when they're two, three, four, five years old than to not do that all those young years and then try to catch up when they're 16 years old and they're already almost fully formulated as to who they are. That's free, by the way. That's free. Amen. But I was taught, these things taught me respect and they taught me, they taught me to listen and they taught, they taught me what it meant to have respect. Another thing my parents taught me, I thought about this, and I never thought it strange until I've talked to a lot of people that have differing opinions on this, but I was taught when you got up in the morning, you always made your bed. That's good doctrine. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's a little weak out there. It's a little weak. It's a little weak. So that's, I'm, since I was... I. Four years old, five years old, I can remember making my bed. It probably wasn't perfect, but that's so now. I mean, we never leave the house without making our bed and putting our pillows up there and making it, make it all nice. And by the way, my mother's philosophy was amended. There's a great general. You can go on Amazon. I cannot think of his name at, at this time. A great general, though, he wrote a book, and the title of his book was Make Your Bed, validating my mother's theory. Why? Because there's something about discipline. And if you can start your day with discipline, typically your day is going to go better. So I'm just, I'm grateful that I was taught some good values and, and mom had it right. One of the things that she taught me, in addition to all these other things that I think is the most important thing, was that mom taught me to be thankful. Around my house, whining was not allowed in my home growing up. Whining, no whining. And every child goes through a phase and a period of time when they whine. And so we, years ago, we bought a little sign when, the, when our kids were very, very young. And it was a sign we put on the refrigerator and had big words. It had the word whining and it had a circle around it and it had a line through the middle of it. No whining. Whining wasn't allowed in my home. You don't whine. To be unthankful, complaining all the time, whining wasn't allowed. It was tough love. But mom taught me to be thankful, and I think that was a good quality. And so, when you were given a gift, now this is when it got really hard, say around Christmas time, because you know you always have a family member that buys you a gift, 
that you hate? Socks. Well, I guess it depends. If they're smart wool, 20 bucks a pair, no, that's, that's a little. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So you're a kid and you're growing up, and I had, and I'll be very careful, I won't name the family member. I won't even, I won't even hit anywhere in that direction. But we had family members that, that they were wonderful and they meant well. But when you're six years old, you do not want to get clothes for Christmas. You open up the box, and there's like a, a robe. I mean, what kid wants a, you know, like a monogram robe? I mean, you want like toys, food, you know, those, those kind of gifts. And so, but when it was Christmas time and you open up your gift and it, it, it wasn't what you want, you'd look across the room and there's mom and she's looking at you. And what do you say? And... What do you say? Huh? Uh, 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 uh. And what do you say? You're not getting some of you getting. And what do you say? That's what mom said. You know, she'd give you that little attaboy. That's right. Thank you, Grandma, so much for the sweater that I hate. We had one relative that when it was your birthday or, or Christmas, they would buy gifts, and they, but they would buy, they were like used. And you'd get them and they'd have broken parts and they didn't work. And, and what do you say? What are you saying? I'm saying it's, it's a good quality. Mom's looking at you. She's looking over your shoulder. And, and what do you say? You say, why, why is that important? Because it teaches a winning attitude in life. Because always being critical and always being complaining and not everything not being the way that I want them and not getting what I want. And guess what? You know what? It's part of life. It's part of life sometimes. I mean, this, that's like, you know, the tough love. You don't win every election. You kind of see where I'm heading with that? There's winners and there's losers. That's just the way that it works. But a winning attitude... Listen up. And what do you say? I believe God shares the same sentiment. And my message this morning is very, very simple. And I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. And what do you say? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been good to me. Thank you, Lord. I have life. Thank you, Jesus. I have eternal life. Thank you, Lord. You're not holding all the sins of my past against me. Thank you, Lord. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. I've got a good family. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. I've, I've been freed. Thank you, Lord. I'm not in prison. Thank you, Lord. I've got a good family. Thank you, Lord. I've got health in my body. Thank you, Jesus. I've got the power of another world, the Holy Ghost in my life. Thank you, Lord. I've got a job. Thank you, Lord, I've got a house to live in. Thank you, Lord, I've got a car to drive. Thank you, Jesus, I've got friends. Thank you, Lord, I've got a good marriage. And what do you say? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The Bible warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. Notice with me. It says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. How many believe we're in the last days? We're in the last days. The last days shall come. Now watch this pernicious line of attributes of the last day, apostate generation. He said, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent or lacking self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. He, he's talking about people that are self-lovers and boasters and blasphemers and rebels and homosexual and liars and, and all of these things. And, and I, don't, I don't think we have any trouble recognizing that these things are pretty serious and heinous spiritual crimes in a sense. And yet it is amazing to me that listed alongside of all these terrible sins is the sin of unthankfulness. He said they were unthankful. One of the signs of the perilous end times that we live in. He said it's going to be characterized by a spirit and by an attitude of a lack of gratitude. He said the end times are going to be times of ingratitude. People that are unthankful. The New Bible commentary states that Paul pointed out the disastrous consequences of self-centeredness. The forerunner commentary explains that the Greek word translated unthankful, listen, this is important, means, quote, to refuse to recognize debts, to feel one has the right to services and be without obligation, or in other words, it is an attitude of entitlement. Unthankful means entitlement. It means that we have a right to all the things that we have. And we have a right, and we have this right, and we're entitled, and, and, and we have this right, and it belongs to us. We deserve it. And what Paul is saying is this self-saturating attitude of entitlement leads a person to believe that he or she deserves certain benefits or blessings. Sounds like 21st century American culture. I deserve so much. I deserve this. I deserve health care. I, I deserve a, 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 an iPhone. I deserve this. I deserve that. Listen, we don't deserve anything but judgment. We don't deserve anything but hell. But listen, God's been so good to us that he didn't give us what we deserve. We ought to thank God we didn't get what we deserve. Come on, nobody. There's none good, no, not one. None of us has a right to puff out our chest and say, well, I deserve this. I deserve better treatment. I deserve things to go my way. The truth of the matter is that's an end time attitude. But God says, I want a better attitude out of my people. And what do you say? The attitude is not that I deserve it, but oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't get what I deserved. Thank you, Lord, that you've been good to me. I don't have an attitude of entitlement. I have an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to name my many blessings that God has brought into my life. And I'm going to be grateful and thankful and appreciative for the good life that God's given me. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, great scripture, says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is amazing to me, people will go to the Himalayas, they'll try to find a monk somewhere, they'll travel to the top of a mountain, they'll look for signs in the skies, uh, they'll look everywhere. I want to know the will of God for my life. Oh, somehow, 
prophet, prophesy to me. Tell me the will of God for my life. I don't need to prophesy. All I got to do is read the scripture, and I can tell you the will of God for your life. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In every, put it back up there, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's the will of God for my life. We have benefits in living for God. We are so, so blessed. I had a phone call yesterday with our dear brother, Tim Dopp, and many of you know he is uh, struggling with his health. And uh, he's probably online right now. Hi, Tim. We love you. We miss you. I was thinking about it. I miss him sitting up on the platform right here. I miss Tim. Tim is struggling with pulmonary fibrosis. And I called him yesterday and was chatting with him for a little bit. And I said, how's it going, Tim? He said, well, you know, I didn't have a very good morning this morning, but it's doing better. And this is what Tim said. It's doing better. He said, but we're praising the Lord. But we're praising the Lord. Here's a man that's struggling for his breath. But you know what he said? You know what he said? He said, but we're praising the Lord. God's been good to me. God's been good to me. He said, I realize there's only one thing in life that matters, and that's my relationship with God. Is he going through a hard time? Sure he is. But you know what? He realizes. He says, we're praising the Lord. God's still good. Come on. In everything, give thanks. And what do you say? In everything. Sometimes things don't go the way we want them to go. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we think it's going to turn out. Sometimes all of our expectations aren't met. Sometimes things don't go the way we want them to go. But the Bible says the response, whether it goes my way or doesn't go my way, is always universally the same. And that is in everything. I'm going to give God thanks. Praise the Lord. God, you're still good. You're still real. You're still true. You're still wonderful. I'm still struggling, but God, you're still good. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's not going my way, but God's still good. And I'm going to give God some praise in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God. I think sometimes we need to spit the complaining out of our mouth. I'm spitting it out of my mouth. I'm getting it out of my heart. Complaining and grumbling. Tell you this, God's not happy about it. He's not. The poem says, forgive me when I whine. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I, I envied her, she seemed so gay, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw, saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet, the world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. 
Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed. The world is mine. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. Tell you what God desires out of our life. And what do you say? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The passage of scripture we read in the beginning tells a story, very simple story, and yet very, very profound story. It's a story of ten messed up men. A motley crew they were. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, Samaria, the dark side of town, the ghetto, the sinners, talk about racism, talk about racial strife. Samaria was the other, other side of the tracks, and yet my Bible tells me that as he was on his way to Jerusalem, he went through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. I'm so thankful today for the goodness and mercy of Jesus that will go out of his way sometimes to meet the needs of undeserving people. I'm so thankful that he'll walk by the way of people, listen, that don't deserve it. They're not the perfect specimens of beauty and grace and wonder. Their lives are shattered. Their lives are messed up. They're hobbling around, many of them, because the leprosy had taken away the flesh on their toes and the flesh on their nose and their ears and their fingers, and the flesh had been, had been taken away from them, and they're, and they're smelly because the rottenness of their flesh, and they... They stink and they're unattractive and yet, and yet, and yet the Bible says that God cared enough uh, to come by their way. Amen. I'll tell you what else I find amazing is that broken people hang together. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Broken people hang together. That's just how it works. We hang with people that are like us. And you know what messed up people? They hang out with messed up people. Broken people, they hang out with broken people. And here was this motley crew of 10 people, they're 10 guys. They're all messed up. They're reminiscing about the stories of, man, I wonder how my kids are doing right now. I haven't been able to see them in a long time. Man, I sure wish that I could go out in public and be among normal people. Because everywhere that a leper went, they had to put their hand over their mouth and they had to cry at the top of their lungs, unclean, unclean, unclean. See, they were isolated, they were separated, they were segregated. That's what happens when you're messed up. Can somebody say amen? When you're messed up and running with the wrong crowd and your, your life is, is falling apart at the seams, that's, that's what you do. You isolate, separate, and the problem with that is then you get sicker. You're hanging out with people that are just like you are. Man, I feel like just preaching here a little this morning. Amen. That's why you need to find a new crew sometimes. You need to find a new crew. Sometimes if all you're hanging out is the other people that are, that are using and abusing and you're hanging out with the same old people, you ever thought maybe there's a new crew that you can run with? And more importantly than that, that there's a God that's not afraid of your mess. I'm going to say it again. There's a God that's not afraid of your mess. You say, well, you don't know. I mean, you don't know how messed up my life is. You don't know how I'm falling apart. And you may be here Sunday with your Sunday go to meet and close, and you paste it on your best smile, and you say, I'm here, and you want everybody to think everything's going well, but inside it's not going well. 
Let me tell you what, I got good news. There's a God that's not afraid of leprosy. He's not afraid of the smell. In fact, he'll get down and dirty. He'll get down where you really live. And the good news is he, he shows up not to condemn you. Because if you got leprosy, you really don't need somebody to tell you you're sick. You know that you're sick. What you need is somebody that will have a, a reaching down hand that will come into your life and take you in your condition and say, guess what? I, I can touch you where you're at. I can do for you what your buddies can do for you. And the people that got the same problems that you have and you're rehearsing the same issues, and it's not getting any better. Jesus said, I can extract and heal and free and bless, and, and I can pull you out of that mess. Here's the thing, though. This is what they knew when they showed up in the presence of Jesus. Verse 13 says, they lifted up their voices. I am a proponent for loud church. In case you were wondering, <laughs> they, looked, they, saw, they saw him. You know why? Because when they saw hope, they said, we cannot let this moment pass us by. We can't let this moment miss us. And the Bible says they lift up their voice and they cried at the top of their lungs, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And the ten lepers are loudly, help us, Jesus, have mercy upon us. Guess what? Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and he ministered in that moment. I don't mean to be overly simplistic here, but if you've got a problem that you can't fix, that's no time to act all like you got it together and you're civilized. And that's a time to get desperate. I really hope that the, the apostolic Pentecostal church of the 21st century doesn't lose the eye of the tiger. That we don't develop this quaint little, pretty little, you know, stained glass little, pretty little approach to God. Okay. No, there are times that you you got to throw down in prayer. Come on, somebody. There's times you've got to throw down in desperation and say, I need God in my life. And I tell you, when you do that, you, the one thing that we know about Jesus is he doesn't leave us alone by ourselves. Jesus, Master, Jesus. Master, and he stops dead in his tracks. The Bible says, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. These people whose lives were falling apart were wise enough to listen to the word of God. Because if they'd have just stood there and not obeyed what Jesus said, one of the most powerful principles that every child of God has got to learn in their relationship with God, are you ready? Powerful principle, listen, is obedience to the word of God. If you want a miracle in your life, obey the word of God. If your life is messed up and you want it to be fixed, obey the word of God. If you're falling apart and you want to get fixed like these lepers, obey the word of God. In this case, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they spun and obeyed the word of Jesus and began to walk toward the temple to show themselves to the priests, it says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they obeyed the word of God, then God got involved immediately and immediately cleansed them and healed them. 
I'm saying there's power in obedience. If your life's falling apart, then Peter said unto them, repent. Repent. That means that if you're living in sin, stop living in sin. That means if you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, you need to repent. Show yourself to the priest. Obey the word of God. If you've repented and God has touched your life and you've said, Lord, you poured it all out and said, God, I'm sorry for living the way that I'm living. I'm sorry for doing what's wrong. Come on. If you have done that, then you know the next step is to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall be baptized. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. So, obedience brings blessing. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, uh, obey the word of God and say, Jesus, uh, I want to be put back together like those lepers were. I'm going to obey the scripture and I'm going I'm to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on. I'm going to obey the scripture. I'm going to obey what God wants me to do. And the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine in one moment their entire, not only their present, but their entire future was immediately healed and God did something for them. Bam. They're new. How many is thankful today for the touch of God on our life that absolutely makes us well, that changes us? I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Watch verse number 15, though. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. One of them. One of them. One of them. And what do you say? And one of them. It says with a loud voice. A loud voice. I'm going to give you the Greek word. The Greek word for loud voice is phonos megalos. Phonos megalos. Sounds like a Mexican dish. Phonos, what does that sound like? Phone. Megalos, what does it sound like? Mega. Phone, mega, reverse it. Megaphone, that's the Greek word. He spoke with a megaphone. You know why? Because God does something in your life. You're going to have a megaphone to your voice to give mega praise to a mega great God. Thank you, Lord. That's why church shouldn't be quiet. Church, let me quiet. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. You have been so good to me. Here's what I want you to think about today. This, again, this is such an incredibly simple message, but this, this has stuck with me, this whole concept, this whole idea. Only one in ten, only one in ten had even the simple manner. 90% just went their way as if nothing happened. Now, you know, what does the Lord expect? Did God expect some huge sacrifice? Did he expect them, you know, to go home and sell their home and give all the money to the church? Did, did he expect them to do some big thing? Jesus literally is exasperated, and, and the one comes back, and he, and he asks, he asks, uh, he, Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed, verse 17, but where are the nine? Jesus is like, I mean, for real? I healed all of these lepers, and, and, and where, where, where's the other nine? 
It's amazing to me that Jesus was exasperated. All that he wanted was something really, really simple, and he was surprised that the other nine didn't give it. What did he want? What was the big deal? All he wanted was for them to just come back and say, thank you. I don't think that's a lot to ask. And what do you say? I'm telling you, this whole thing is such a, it's such a big deal in terms of spiritual values before God. Hebrews 13 and 15, that's what it says. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of God, of praise to God continually. The sacrifice of praise, what is that? The fruit of our lips. This is not a complicated message. The fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. You know how we give God the sacrifice of praise? Is when we start speaking with our mouth and simply saying to God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. That's, as far as I can read, that's all he was expecting. I mean, there's a life of obedience, obviously, that follows that, but the most fundamental, simple step, that's why I pray, may the Lord help us. May we never just get into this rhythm of church Sunday after Sunday, making noise, just doing what we do. But I pray may there be a heart in every one of us that we stop long enough to really take stock and to take inventory and to look at our lives and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been good to me, Jesus. You've been kind to me. I have a life that I, I don't deserve. You've been better to me than I deserve. And Lord, I thank you for the life that I have. I thank you for the kindness that you have given me. Amen. Stand together with me this morning. I'm advocating this morning that there are some simple words that should be a part of our vocabulary that is indicative of an attitude, an attitude in our hearts. And it's a very simple one. It's very simple. And it is, thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's an expression of gratitude. What do I thank God for? Thank you, Lord, that I have health in my body. Thank you, Lord, that I'm breathing. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. Thank you, Lord, I have a car to drive. Man, I love my vehicle. I'm so thankful. I mean, can you love your vehicle? I had a Nissan Altima. I had it for five and a half years. That vehicle, I'm telling you, every time, not every time, I'd be stretching it, but... A lot of the times I would get in my car and I'd just say, thank you, Lord. I almost felt like I was, I don't know, cheating by selling my Altima. Fortunately, I kept it in the family. My daughter and son-in-law bought my Altima so I can still visit her. God's been, but you know what? Thank God. I mean, that car ran just, I don't think I had a problem with 172,000 miles in that car. Thank you, Lord. You go, I deserve it. Nah, God's just been good to me. God's just been good to me. I'm grateful. I don't deserve that, but I'm, I'm grateful. I have a good family. I thank God. All, all my family's in church. They're all living for God. I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord. I've got, I've got a church family. I got a church family. That's no small thing. I got you and you got me and we got us together. We have a church family. I thank God I got a life group that I 
I can go to. I thank God for what I'm learning in life group. I thank God that I'm saved. I thank God I sleep well at night. I thank God I've got a purpose in life. I thank God I have friends. Come on, I thank God I have peace of mind and, and peace of heart. I'm so thankful our life should be one great big song of praise to God. And what do you say? Thank you, Lord. Let's do that today as we sing. Let's lift our hands to the Lord.